Welcome to Let's Face the Facts. I'm David Almeida, and I'm your host for this rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. I'm an actor in Orlando, Florida, and every week I bring you some of the greatest talent in the Central Florida arts community. Join us as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show, episode by episode. Hello, welcome back. It's another week, another Wednesday, another show. Thank you for downloading and pressing play. This week, my guest is Matthew Arder. Yes, Matthew is back. A multiple appearance guest. If you have listened to the show in any capacity, you know that Matthew is uh, a staple for all intents and purposes, my sort of unofficial co-host for how many times he's been on the show. And when it comes to an episode like this one, this is the Christmas show. This is the talent show episode of the series. There is just no way I could tackle this without Matthew by my side, or in this case, in my Zoom. Now, one thing I do need to talk about before we get started this week is I got a text from Dr. Steve Summers pointing out that he went to start watching an episode from season seven of The Facts of Life on the Roku channel. Remember the Roku channel just recently, I think it was December, changed over its offering from seasons four, five, six, and they moved them to seven, eight, and nine. Well, guess what? We're back to seasons one, two, three. So I don't know if it's on a two-month cycle. Maybe by April, we'll have it back to seasons four, five, and six. But at this rate, by April, I'm going to be done with season six. We're going to need season seven again. Just so frustrating. Again, write to your Congress people. We have a new president now. We have a new Congress. Start working on the important things we need to do to heal our country. And number one on that list is to have the facts of life available in its entirety on one singular, popular, free streaming platform. Now I'm stepping down off of my soapbox to tell you that this week. Matthew Arder and I watched Season 6, Episode 13, Christmas in the Big House. The original air date was December 19th of 1984. I think we're ready to jump on in. Let's face the facts with Matthew Arder. Well, Matthew Arder, here we are again, and uh, at least on my part, very deliriously, happily so. Happy holidays David, to you, to you and Yorn. <laughs> well, thank you. It's uh, we're actually uh, recording this on January thirty first. So to watch a Christmas episode a month after Christmas, boy, do you feel like oh fuck? We didn't we just do this? <laughs> Are you one of those people? That's like, as soon as Christmas is over, you're like, get the fucking tree out of my face. Uh, I'll, I'll give it till I'll do. I'm not a religious man, as you know, um, but I, I'll do the three Kings day. I'll do the January 6th as the, the maximum length of time. Then the tree must come down and we have to get on with our lives in the new year. I feel like I'm one of those where it's like by the middle of Christmas day, when they stop the 24-hour Christmas story marathon. 
mm-hmm. that I'm like, I'm like, yep, and we're done. That's yeah. the, it now signals the end of Christmas for me. Yeah. <laughs> when TNT goes back to their normal, regularly scheduled programming. But nonetheless, watching this episode of The Facts of Life, it made me so happy. I will, I want to start right off and say, I love this episode. Yeah. This episode is like a big, hopeful, um, like you'd go down to your Christmas morning and you'd see a giant box and you're like, oh, bitch, that is an awesome present in that giant box. <laughs> and you open it and it's like a clothes hamper. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, oh, I thought it was going to be like a life-size human robot or something. So do I take that to mean you did not enjoy this episode, Matthew? I take issue with several things in this episode. Oh, I cannot wait I to don't, hear that. I think we're at season six and I'm not giving them passes anymore on the writing. Oh, oh, and here you, just a few weeks ago, a few short weeks ago, you were all, season six is awesome. Season five was awesome, David, you were wrong. Um, I, I'm I'm fascinated. Oh no, to know. I absolutely stand by this. This is one of the best episodes ever. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm I'm with you. I guess I should have said I'm, I love this episode, warts and all. There it is. There it is. There it is. Because we have some stuff. We do have some stuff to talk about. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah, we do. We do. I cried it's... at the end. I cried at the end. Oh, nice. Blair, Blair brought me to tears. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I said it. I'm not emotionally stable in general, but you throw Blair Warner and a sad Christmas song at me, I'm going to be a puddle on the floor. That is mm-hmm. all. That is that's it. That's where I'm sitting. Okay, that's where we're that's our starting point. Good. Okay. <laughs> well, what Matthew and I are discussing, of course, is season 6, episode 13, Christmas in the Big House, which had an air date of December 19th, 1984. And it was written by Jerry Mayer, the OG writer, producer developed by Jerry Mayer, I think one of the original vaudevillian elderly writers in the writing room. And it was directed by John Boab, our new in-house regular director. So I am very, very happy that I get to start this off by not having a deep dive, a new writer or a new director, and uh, bore the fucking tears out of you uh, 10 minutes into the show. And the world takes a collective sigh of relief. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome. <laughs> so, Matthew Arder. Present. This is the time of the show when I put my guest on the spot. And you have to... <laughs> Matthew is mouthing, oh shit, oh fuck. <laughs> If you would please provide a one to two sentence synopsis of this entire episode, similar to what you might read in a TV guide. All right. This week on The Facts of Life, Mrs. Garrett angers Joe by giving away too many fruitcakes. Uh, yes, that, that's it. Nothing, oh, and nothing girls, else. And the girls sing a couple songs or something. Yeah. Okay, good. I'm glad we got to that. Yes. But, <laughs> yes. Always... Oh, I could have said Blair goes to prison. The girls go to prison. Oh, you could have said that too. Oh, but shit. No, no, the B-plot the, the B thing is hilarious. <laughs> I love that you always highlight the B-plot of every episode we discuss. So, are, are we ready to jump on in? Are we ready to... Well, let's actually, before we jump in, let's talk in generalities. 
Okay. This sitcom honors the tried and true TV trope of the standard sitcom putting on a talent show. That is one that has happened so, so bloody many times on literally every sitcom you can think of, which gives the actors an excuse to either sing or dance or do something. So I'm, I'm trying to just list off the top of my head shows that I can think of where okay. they inexplicably suddenly are doing a talent show. Sure. You have the Brady Bunch doing the seven Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And also the episode where Mike Brady reads a poem while wackiness ensues behind him and Marsha Brady and her mom sing together wherever we go from Gypsy. Go. Correct. Yes. Um, Okay. Uh, One day at a time. Two years in a row, they did a talent show for the senior home for the two old people. The two old people played by one, the guy that's coming up in season six to be Edna's old school buddy, the father of Ryan Cassidy, and the other, the woman, Nidra Vols, who would be Adelaide on different strokes with the departure of Charlotte Ray as Mrs. Garrett. Go. Okay. Um, 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 the golden girls several times. Oh um, yeah. Henny Penny. Um, uh, <laughs> fucking um, Rue McClanahan and Betty White as nuns in Sound of Music. And also as cats in the community theater production of cats, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. You talk about out-of-touch writers. These writers for the Golden Girls made fucking Blanche and Rose cast members in Cats. <laughs> have you seen Cats, David? Uh, yes, I have. Could either of you or I, at our age, perform in Cats? Uh, you and me, over the age of 35 as we are? I don't think so. No, I'm certainly not going to cast two 60-year-olds. <laughs> And they had like the Sonny and Cher number that they were rehearsing. There was the tap number when Dorothy broke her ankle. They were all doing the big tap. Thing. Yeah. yeah, the Golden Girls, that was all over the place. Miami, Miami. Yeah, Miami is nice, so I'll say it twice. Yeah. Uh, thrice is a word. Thrice um, is a word. Um, okay, you did Golden Girls. Um, go. Laverne and Shirley. How many talent shows did Laverne and Shirley, the Shots Brewery, talent show thing where Laverne and Shirley, they tried to do the Calypso uh, Harry Belafonte number and they were made fun of. There's one where they did a Jack and Jill where they're supposed to be marionettes and wacky, they get hoisted up and they're being flown and flying around the stage. Uh, Gave an excuse for Lenny and Squiggy to do some of their musical material that they did before they were ever on the show. Uh, There, so Laverne and Shirley, go. Um, Roseanne. It was the episode where um, Dan and her, she's a ventriloquist doll, I remember. Yep. Yes. Doing a talent show or something. Yes. Yep, they that's did all that. I'm going to say about that bitch. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me see. Dick Van Dyke Show. There were episodes, I believe, where Laura Petrie sang, where Mary Tyler Moore sang, they would all do because Dick Van Dyke was a song and dance man. So I'm pretty sure I can't specifically remember it, but I'm 99.9% sure that that is correct. Go. Um, um, for those listeners that have turned on their TV um, in the past decade, um, The Office. They did a Sweeney Todd episode, and um, Michael was constant. They did like the auction where they were all doing their. Um, <laughs> Creed was playing the guitar. Anyway, anyway, The Office. Okay, The Office. <laughs> um, next, we've got. Um, okay, these are these are a little bit of a cheat. Uh, I could probably steal two from you and say both, give me a break 
and Alice because the leading female roles were aspiring singer performers, so they would use it as an excuse to utilize them. And both Nell Carter, Linda Lavin, big time Broadway people, you got the talent, let's fucking use it. My next one was Give Me a Break. It's the one where they put blackface on Joey Lawrence. Yay! (laughs) But we could go on and on with these other uh, shows that did talent shows, because really, in essence, pretty much every sitcom does, because so many of the actors are multi-talented. They have musical abilities. So many of them started out on the stage or in the musical theater stage. And God forbid we don't utilize every bit of talent that we're paying for. As surprising as that may be sometimes when you watch these talent show episodes. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. Um, So uh, uh, the thing that I love about this trope of the talent show in a sitcom is that because we have to have the buildup, the planning, the complication, the, oh my God, so-and-so got sick or, oh no, they're going to shut down the help center or whatever. By the time we get to the actual show in the second act, we typically watch what is a 10 minute talent show that everyone cheers and applauds and takes a bow at, at the very end, as though they just put on a full length two and a half hour Broadway musical with intermission. That's one of my comments for later. I'm like, you think they just got done doing Sunset Boulevard? <laughs> the way they run backstage after their show, after their song. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god they want an encore. Oh, I couldn't possibly. Oh, Jesus I'm, I'm Christ! <laughs> but fucking ain't that? Why don't you just go up there and go one more time? <laughs> wow! 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 Fellas, go ahead. So, oh bless! This so show starts in Edna's Edibles, doesn't it? Yes, the show does start in Edna's Edibles. Thank you for beginning the synopsis portion of the podcast, Matthew. You're welcome. Now I do need to point out the first couple of minutes of this show were edited out from syndication. I wondered. Uh huh. The shop is beautifully decked out for Christmas. It does look gorgeous, and I'm not being ironic. I mean, really. Um, it does look nice. And they even start Mr. Mr. Boab. It starts with an out of focus shot of the tree. And then it comes into focus as it pans down to a female customer at the counter that Mrs. Garrett is just ringing out. And as Mrs. Garrett says, thank you, please call again. Have a wonderful Christmas. And she went, oh, you have children, don't you? And the woman's like, oh, oh and, the, and the actress, she doesn't say yes nods her head. This is an extra being paid the extra day rate. She is not credited in the credits. She is not being paid as an actress. So she just nods her head, at which point Mrs. Garrett's like, we'll bring these cookies home to your children. Oh, and some brownies. And it's just stuffing extra things into this woman's hand as she leaves. It's still fascinating to me, like as an actor now, like watching things like that. I'm like, that girl probably told all of her friends in LA, bitch, I got on facts of life. <laughs> yep. And then like they, they probably sat at home on that Wednesday night with her friends to watch her. Oh, totally. You no, know, like. So in response to Mrs. Garrett being excessively generous, Joe comes in and of course, Joe, the de facto store manager, the taskmaster, the accountant, Oh, geez, Mrs. Gavick, you're giving away too much stuff. We're the only shop that loses money around the holidays. <laughs> and, um, okay, uh, around the holidays, 
I just want to go on record saying this is your second holiday. Edna's Edibles has only existed one previous Christmas. So we only have two here to even develop a pattern, as it were. And I believe I was the one who said last season that it confused me that they sort of shut the shop down-ish. I guess Mr. Lazzaroni did come in and help. But um, the deal is, it's like the fact that clearly <laughs> it was never a big... I feel like the implication was it was like December 23rd and most shops like in a town like that would be closed on Christmas Eve and Christmas. Yeah. You know what I mean, so... It didn't really bother me that they were closing down for Christmas. Yeah, is it is it Christmas Eve? I didn't. It didn't occur to me. I do they actually state specifically no, what? Not this one, but like that was in my head when you the first yeah, that episode it's... where Mister Lazzaroni shows up and everybody's leaving town. Yeah, I just always assumed it was like December twenty third, and they were actually getting ready to close for Christmas because that's what shops do. Yeah, and and they have a, a surplus of whatever baked goods they thought they were going to sell. So move them along. Let people eat them rather than let him go to waste. But, um, yeah. So, Joe does say uh, to Mrs. Garrett, could you pull back a little with the free fruitcakes? And then, as Mrs. Garrett walks toward the front door, a man walks in, and she just goes, Merry Christmas! Here, have a free fruitcake! And Joe is like, oh, she can't pull back. Huh. Mrs. Garrett! Uh, mm, what are you gonna do about it? Eh? So, um, just miss it is established. Just Mrs. Garrett is just caught up in the Christmas spirit. She reminisces about how her mother used to bake 50 to 60 pumpkin pies and give them away to poor families, even though growing up they didn't have much. And Mrs. Garrett reiterates that her mother really had the true spirit of Christmas. Yeah. So, in other words, her mother was an angel as well. Uh, with Mrs. imperfections. Garrett has no imperfections. And mm. Okay. Well, we, we find out she's got one big one in this episode. Oh, no. <laughs> Stop! <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> but then we pan over to the table in the front center of the store where we have Judy and Natalie. And they are making plans for their trip home for the holidays. Home being Natalie is going to be going to D.C. with Tootie to spend it with Tootie's family. So as they're going, we're going to do this, going to do that, blah, blah, blah. And then Natalie says, okay, now let's plan for the parties. And Tootie's like, parties? What parties? And Natalie says, Tootie, Congress is adjourned. There are Senate pages on the loose. And then Tootie says, you're right. Let's make a plan. So we have horny Natalie in full swing, planning for hooking up with some guys. We don't know what happened to Brian, her amazing boyfriend in the ice cream shop that we loved so much two weeks ago. He's just gone and dead and yeah. <sighs> makes me sad. Do we see him again? I, for, I Off the top of my head, I can't think we do. Nope, you no. do not. Brian, one and done. Yes. Yep. So then we now begin. The episode as seen in syndication, as seen on dailymotion.com, where it's just as that male customer is being wrung out and walking away. Again, you'll notice he does not speak. Not a word is said. He is like that other woman where it's like, you are here as an extra. You do not have lines. 
So, Mrs. Garrett asks Tootie and Natalie, uh, do they want to go caroling tonight? She's so in the spirit. I'm fucking out. Did, did you, have you ever, I mean, seriously, I feel like that's a sitcom trope as well. Have you ever gone caroling, David? Oh, this is the part where you tell me about when you worked with the fucking gay men's chorus and you did it every year. Oh, God, I'm sorry. <laughs> you literally just answered it. Yeah. But that was going caroling to from like bar to bar. We didn't go to people's houses. We went to, uh, it was really more of a promotional thing. Uh, and then the awkward, the awkwardness while the people in the bar are like, oh, fuck, I've got to be quiet while these queens fucking sing Good King Wenceslas looked out. Okay. <laughs> but the traditional caroling thing of let's just us go out and walk around our neighborhood singing, knock on doors, interrupt people's evenings. Uh, I, I do believe that is a thing of the past. And I don't mean 1984 past. I mean, yeah. it was a thing of the past back then too. Not very common. So okay. I, I am agreeing with you. Okay. By the way, you will want to use an umbrella if a gay chorus ever comes in and sings Good King Wenceslas. <laughs> You're going to need some sort of poncho. For the- <laughs> Every Good. zone is the splash zone. Good King Wenceslas looked out <laughs> on his face named Stephen. <laughs> oh, dear. Where was I? Oh, my God. Um, Mrs. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So okay. Okay. So Tootie and Natalie are like, they, they come back with some zinger one-liners about how awful they were. Carolee, they threw stuff at us. They told us to go fuck ourselves. I don't know. Anyhow. They've established they're all terrible singers. Oh, okay. With yeah. That, line. that, that, that line. as carolers, they were not welcomed. True. Yeah. That comes, put a pin in that, dear listeners. <laughs> <laughs> so Joe also says she can't carol because she's got to get ready. She's busy and she's leaving in the five o'clock train the next day because friends of hers in the Bronx are going to be throwing her a party. She hasn't seen them in a while. So that's nice. Well, then Mrs. Garrett, comes back at all of this, these, these negative vibes, man, all this, you know, <laughs> You're stuff. killing Mrs. Garrett's buzz. Yeah. And she says. <laughs> she's had enough eggnog, I think. <laughs> this is where, dear listeners, if you watch this next scene with Mrs. Garrett as, and think of her line readings as if she's drunk, it is way funnier. Oh, okay. I, I need to do that. Um, but Mrs. Garrett does explicitly say, I just hope we don't get too busy to remember the real meaning of Christmas. Yeah. Is that, is that foreshadowing? I'm not sure. I couldn't tell. The writing is so subtle. Um, and her delivery is so subtle. So uh, yeah. And then Blair comes in and Blair just tosses off out of the blue that, uh, She's putting on some type of a show for a young boy's home called the Nickleby House. She and some of her friends from the club are going to be doing this thing just as a, you know, aren't we wonderful people, us rich white girls, for being generous with those less fortunate saps. And Mrs. Garrett is deeply touched. She's like, oh, this is what she was thinking of. Um, And Blair even says, I just can't help doing something for others. So then two of Blair's friends come in and just sort of uh, reiterate that they're doing this thing. And then they talk about uh, hiring a jazz band. And Mrs. Garrett's like, oh, the boys will love the jazz music. The boys are going to love the jazz music. (laughs) (laughs) 
because she's established she makes the best quote unquote eggnog. <laughs> <laughs> Of and she does. of course she does of course she does and then blair responds with oh well the jazz band is for the party that we're throwing for ourselves after we do this generous i'm making air quotes there thing for the boys and this and that. um we do need to take a moment and talk about these two actresses only a moment they barely say anything but they are getting paid to speak yes they <laughs> are they're <laughs> making more than the others and here's the funniest thing they are Blair's friends. They are her contemporaries. They are college students. So they're supposed to be 20-ish. Both of them look like they're 40. Yeah. Am I lying? No. <laughs> That's why I was so I get so happy when you bring up their ages. <laughs> I don't know. They look 40 to me. Yeah. <laughs> well, here, the brunette, her name is Star with two R's. I'm out. Andreef. A-N-D-R-E-E-F-F. <laughs> I shit you not. Her name is that Star. Is a porn star slash <laughs> name if I've ever heard one. That's not even good enough to be a drag queen name. That's like Wednesday afternoon at the strip club. Please welcome Star McReef. <laughs> Andreef, dear. Uh, turns out she's a Canadian actress and was a beauty pageant uh, almost winner. She was a semifinalist in the 1980 Miss Teen Canada pageant. Uh, after this, she would be on 21 episodes of General Hospital from 1992 to 1993 in the role of Jessica Holmes. She is very tall, by the way. And her credits end in 1998. And IMDb says that she is now a talent agent and runs her own agency. So, friends in Los Angeles, look up the Star Andreef Agency. Maybe you can scare up some work. Who knows? You, you okay? Yeah. <laughs> what was the other actress's name? The other actress's name, the blonde. Her name is Joanne Willette. <laughs> oh, God. That is not a stripper or porn star name. No, that's... Ladies and gentlemen, Joanne... De what? <laughs> not to what? Willette. W Joanne Willette. <laughs> Willette. Welcome, Joanne Willette. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's not up on a poll. It is that not, better definitely. better be followed by here at the Grand Ole Opry. Yeah, that does have that feel to it. But so here's the thing. Was she, what was she doing? Sorry. From 1988 to 1990, she was one of the kids on Just the Ten of Us. Wasn't somebody else on here that, was on, that ended up being on Just the Ten of Us? Two other people. One of the children, one of the boys. Yeah. Uh, was a kid in an earlier episode, and I can't remember which one it was. And then the mother on Just the Ten of Us, that was the teacher, the female teacher that Joe got friendly with in season four that uh, ended up dying or, you know, having cancer. Remember, she's leaving the school and Joe thinks it's for money, but it's like, no, she's dying, Joe. Yeah. So, yeah, that was the mom on Just the Ten of Us. So, yeah, Just the Ten of Us, I believe this yeah. is the third future cast member that is appearing on the facts of life. And uh, these two I friends, wanna, I almost want to believe that the, just the 10 of us, which is a spinoff of what growing pains. Yes. That like they, do they exist in the same world? Like not being spinoffs, but like, you know how like, um, um, raising hope with the wonderful Cloris Leachman existed in the same world as, um, as, um, fucking, um, my name is Earl. Oh, Yes. You know, but they ne they weren't spinoffs or anything, but they just existed. Existed in the same universe, yeah. 
there's that massive chart with all the shows that with the boxes touching. And uh, I'm sure, I'm sure there's some type of a relationship. These have to exist in the same universe. Mm -hmm. um, but these two friends of Blair's from the club, that's all they say, assuming the country club, this highfalutin place in Peekskill that Blair and her rich people, friends and family go to, I don't get it. Mm -hmm. um, they never appear again. We will never see these two girls as friends of Blair's. This is the only time they ever appear on The Facts of Life. I guess good for them given a lot of different actors work, but like, it does seem like you might want to like have the same, like yeah. five girls on call. You know what yeah. I mean? We need Joanne. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. We, or we need star with two R's, but yeah, I mean, we had, you know, uh, David Tiefen in the role of Guy Reynolds, Guy, the one in the towel. Right. He was on like five episodes. He was peppered throughout. We had that the bitch that flashed Natalie that that skanky judgmental look at the ice cream parlor. So then we move into the house, the house behind the store. The house is also decked out. The tree is gorgeous over by the fireplace. They've got garland everywhere. Mrs. Garrett is wearing a gorgeous, stunning green dress. She is. Uh, pouring the eggnog, and she yeah, is... Oh, this is where she has the eggnog. This is where she comes stumbling in yeah. with the tray of eggnog. <laughs> Who wants to do a toast? It's, yeah. five, it's two in the afternoon, Edna. <laughs> she is saying we are going to have a Christmas toast before you all have to go. Because it's sad if I drink alone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, lordy. Uh, so... Blair comes in, and it turns out, wacky premise, this Nickleby house is not a boy's home. It's the name of the recreation hall at the state prison. They signed up to entertain convicts. Whoa! <laughs> wacky! So the assistant warden is already on his way to come pick them up. And Blair says... What's that and about? That was seems like a, a a pointless plot point. He's showing up at their house, like. Well, I, I guess know. because of the vehicle getting clearance to get into the prison, like he had oh, to bring them in. But anyway, um, so they're like, "Well, what are you going to do?" And Blair says, "Well, I'm going to do the only thing that I can. I mean, there's no other choice here. I'm going to tell him we're sick." And they're like, oh, Blair, Blair. And uh, very quickly, Joe jumps on the, the soapbox. Oh, saying, of well, course she does. Joe jumps up on her cross. Go ahead. Well, not her cross, but this is a show Bible moment for which we should credit the writers, Matthew. That Joe is like, hey, my dad did time. We know that. Alex Rocco, her father, is a former convict himself. And Joe says it's important that those guys know somebody on the outside cares about them. My dad said they used to do that when he was in prison, and it really meant a lot. You know, he loved it when he would hear his favorite song, I'll Be Home for Christmas. Put a pin in it, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. Blair tries to talk her way out of it. Well, is it fair to parade a beautiful blonde around those men and blah, blah, blah. Well, ding dong. In comes assistant warden Jaeger is his name. Is she wrong though? And I don't want to have a whole moral 
conversation about it. But I mean, does does Flair have a point? Like, I, you want me, a gorgeous blonde, to go stand in front of a room full of convicts? A gorgeous 20-year-old blonde to go stand in front of a room full of convicts? Well, like, I, I think she was justified in... I have some questions to ask this warden when he gets here before I agree to do it and be like, how much security will be there? Will we be protected? I mean, it's like there's the, Matthew, Matthew, it's, it's a conversation that needed to take place. They had conversations that that needed to happen. That did, And this you know. is as a as a white male. This is a learning moment for me and I'm willing to take it. OK, <laughs> but the deal is. He comes in and um, the actor who plays uh, Assistant Warden Jaeger, his name is Todd Sussman. Brava. He's wonderful. He's wonderful. And he's had an awesome career. You looked him up too. Oh my God. He's exactly what I think a lot of actors, like he can go to the grocery store Mm -hmm. and maybe once a month, somebody might be like, dude, were you on the Golden Girls or something? You, you did that thing, weren't you on that thing? That time? Yeah. yeah. Uh, he is still alive. He is still out there. He is 74 years old. But right now, as of this recording, IMDb lists 143 credits over a 50-year career, meaning yeah. he started in 1970. Not counting tons of commercials and voiceovers, according to other sources that I found. So he has been working and... Uh, I don't think he was ever waiting tables to supplement his career. Often just one episode or two. Oh yeah, one-offs. Tons of one-offs. The thing I always look for is things like our our previous friend there, Joanne Willette. The fact that there was a series I could at least link her to in case anyone watched the series. But he's one of those where there's nothing recurring anywhere. He's just the perfect character actor. I think the one I saw, he was on a sitcom that lasted five episodes and he was on all five episodes. Yeah. Like, um, like it didn't get picked up. Yeah. For those that can't picture him off the top of their head, he played, um, in the episode of the golden girls where they have to do the murder mystery solving. He played the, um, the private eye that came in and, Oh, um, where they went on the murder mystery weekend. Okay. Um, but he's also on. Um, for those that have turned their TV on in the past decade, I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why you're listening to this. But if you have, um, he was on Living Single with the wonderful Kim Fields. Mm-hmm. Got to work with her again. Yes, and for those who don't ever turn on their TV, why are you listening? If you are a, a fan of the Bridway, he actually did the Broadway production of Hairspray during the time when Bruce Valanche was playing the role of Edna Turnblad. And then Mr. Sussman would go on to also do the national tour. So if you saw Hairspray on tour as it came through your town, you might have seen Mr. Sussman in the role of Wilbur Turnblad. Yeah. Amazing. Great career. And I, he is magnificent in this. He's just exactly right. As he is emceeing the show later, the, the dryness of the... I'm a warden and I'm trying to be funny. Now it's time for all the the fun and frolicking to continue. Like he's he's got the perfect balancing act. I like him. Yes. Yes, agreed. Um 
So uh, when Blair says to him, I don't think I can do this, he assures her that they will be well supervised. And he says, I would put my own daughter on that stage tonight. Well, if she had any talent. <laughs> <laughs> Great Sheboy- one-liner. Sheboygan. <laughs> so Blair basically says, I just, I can't, sorry. And he's like, okay, the guys are going to be really, really disappointed. And just as he starts to slink away, what happens, Matthew? Joe comes down off of her cross. <laughs> and St. Joe, giggity, offers, <laughs> offers her her ability of tickling the ivories, if you will. And I think you will. <laughs> Which it's we learn now part of the show Bible. Which is now part of the show Bible. 13 episodes ago, it was revealed that Joe was a performance quality piano lounge singer performer. And they, thank God, stuck with it for this. So as he's leaving, Joe's like, hey, uh, would maybe would you be interested in a piano player? And he's like, well, yeah, anything. Anything we can do for the inmates would be really appreciated. And somebody says, well, what about the party they're giving you in the Bronx, Joe? You were just supposed to, to head out for that. And Joe says, eh, they'll get by without me. And then Mrs. Garrett is like, oh, oh, the Christmas, this shit is happening. So Mrs. Garrett's like, I'm going to let me get my fruitcakes. Drunker than Cooter Brown by now. She just kind of <laughs> wobbles over. I don't get my fruitcakes. I'm like, I'm going to come to. I'm each in the van. So, um, Tootie and Natalie also join in. And then it comes down to, well, we're all going to do this, Blair. What are you going to do? Blair, clearly still uncomfortable, says she will come but she's not going to ride with them in the paddy wagon because they made a joke about it's basically the armored car that they bring the inmates into. That's their transportation. So Blair is going to take her own car that she sometimes does or doesn't have, depending on the episode. That is a non-show Bible moment. Um, So the very last thing before commercial is Mrs. Garrett and Tootie just start singing a little bit to themselves. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. While they're packing up the fruitcakes over the table, and then we cut back to Blair, still uncomfortable as we fade to commercial. Yeah, because they've all kind of volunteered their services while looking at her. You know, they're yeah. all like, like <laughs> the, the warden's behind Joe and she looks at Blair and goes, I'll be a piano player. You're like, <laughs> oh, again, the subtlety of, we get it, okay. <laughs> So, Matthew, that brings us to the commercial. And you know, Matthew, typically during the commercial, I do an interview with my guest and ask them about their life, their career. And I don't recall that we ever did that. Have I ever done that with you? Oh, my God. Yeah. Who cares? Are you kidding? I, I, will, I totally will do it right now. No, who cares? Jesus Christ. <laughs> I mean... I know you're from Fort Wayne, Indiana, but I think Ugh, it's because... Why'd you have to say it out loud? Ugh. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm like Madonna. I've worked my whole life to get people to forget that I'm from Midwest. <laughs> uh, okay, we can we can just move on. That's totally fine. <clears throat> you can book my friend Carol Lee at 515.net for an hour of drag queen bingo for you and your friends via Zoom. You're welcome. Okay, then. I will totally leave that in there. Um, 
Well, then, I think what happened is because you came in at the ground floor of this, we I started this entire podcast with you once I kind of got into that groove of that's what I wanted to do. Yeah, once again, when, when you got to the point where you didn't need me anymore. But, <laughs> <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> How about we uh, get back to the show then? Hmm? All right. Okay. That's why we this... don't drink too far into people's past, David. That's why... <laughs> I'm dysfunctional. I remember everything. <laughs> so, Matthew, returning from commercial, we are now at the prison. So, the warden is showing the girls their quote-unquote backstage area, and he's like, yeah, I know, it's uh, not really all that much, and uh, we'll just kind of, you know. Uh, uh. Which, what kind of backstage area were they expecting at a fucking prison? I, <laughs> I'm with you. I'm totally with you right there. You're not playing a, a historic vaudeville house here. Yep. Oh. Nope, you are totally right. So the girls are kind of in this, all right, well, then I'm going to do this, and then Tootie's going to do the medley, and they're, that, and they're all like working out the, the bits and the thing. And then they say, yeah, basically, we're just going to do the Christmas show that we did two years ago. Yeah. We we have this Christmas show already in our back pocket. We did it yeah. two years ago. And uh, yeah, we're just going to duplicate that show. What what a fortunate coincidence. Yeah. We have not rehearsed it or discussed it mm -hmm. for a hot minute since we did it two years ago. And I mean, David, you know, you can probably, it would be difficult to step back into a show that you have been out of for two years. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's asking a lot. And uh, especially fun... Christmas songs. Because let me ask you this, David. If we put on a karaoke track of a Christmas song, uh, would you be able without the words? No. No. Uh, unless neither. it's unless it's Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. Well, obviously we're gay. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know the words. Through, we can get through that and have yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Fine. Judy Garland but, style, yes. But I it just, it's one of those things that as a singer, um, people don't realize like, oh shit, I don't really know all the words to Sleigh Ride in the right order. <laughs> I, would, I, might, I might need to run through it once or twice before I did it on stage. <laughs> exactly. And uh, what's the karaoke track? Is it in a O key? Is it in right. B flat? I need to sing it in F or I can't sing it kind of a thing. It's, but here, yeah. luckily, we've got two such gifted piano players in Joe and Mrs. Garrett that they can follow the singer doing whatever the singer is going to do, apparently, because yeah. there's no rehearsal. So, yeah, it's true. And that whole thing of it's it's such a trope. It is such a trope that th not just the talent show, the impromptu talent show, the oh, my God, thank God I brought my tap shoes with me. It's, you know, <laughs> but the thing is, um, we are going to do this show that we did two years ago. You know, before we knew Joe played the piano, Joe concealed that from us until only 13 weeks ago. Just saying. And uh, yeah, so that's a little preposterous. And the other thing is that I did look back because I couldn't remember what was the Christmas thing two years ago. Uh, last year, of course, we had the Mr. Lazzaroni thing. There was no Christmas episode in 1982. That was the final Eastland year. The show that ran uh, closest to Christmas was September Song. That's the one where Mrs. Garrett has the old boyfriend of 70 who hurts his back and somehow ends up staying there. And 
there was nothing holiday affiliated. Um, and come to think of it, that was around Christmas. They were out running in just their track suits in, in winter in Peekskill, New York. It's like, uh, yeah, they might have had a glove or an earmuff or something. Just saying. But that's neither here nor there. So um, Blair is still wet blanket McMopes a lot. She is yeah. just not into it, not comfortable with it, and is not swept up in all of this, we're going to do a show stuff when the original idea was hers. And doesn't this kind of go against everything that we have actually learned about Blair in the past six years? Yeah. If her friends are all like, we're doing this, Blair would be the first one to be like, okay, thanks, guys. And, you know, I feel like yeah. Blair, this is, seems strange for Blair. Yeah. Her so friends the from the club, those, those bitches from the club would bail. Blair would be the one saying, well, I'm going to do it. We have to do it. Blair is the privileged bitch with the heart of gold. Right. And she comes to it eventually, spoiler alert, but it's, it's very late, <laughs> very, yeah. very, very late in the game. Uh, so Blair just says, I'm going to sit over here and hope the night ends quickly. And Joe's response is, yeah, well, forget it. Just don't block the exit. Like, just stay the fuck out of our way, bitch. We're doing a show. Because we've got entrances. We've got exits. We've got scenery moving. We've got to block the exit. Yeah. Where's the, the pin spot? Here, Blair. You're going to be the only person standing there. <laughs> yeah. Where's the, where are we going to put the props table? I have my headdresses. <laughs> right. Don't block the exit. Yeah. So the warden now comes out onto the stage where we have this audience full of inmates. The warden is wearing a Santa suit and they kind of ah, chide him a bit. Blah, blah, blah. And uh, uh, so he tries to do kind of a funny introduction. Uh, some of the inmates are heckling him. They're like Statler and Waldorfing. Like He's like, we got some girls from a local bake shop here. And they're like, really? Well, Sing Sing got... Johnny Cash. Uh, <laughs> it's I love a good Johnny Cash joke. Never not funny, nope. really. Um, so uh, finally, the show begins. It all starts. Mrs. Garrett sits down at the piano and starts playing. We need to freeze this moment in time, have you? That Mrs. Garrett mm -hmm. sits at the piano and starts playing a performance quality accompaniment David, to the song. You're acting as if this is an impossibility with the amazing <laughs> Mrs. Garrett. I mean, yeah. they could have had a harp sitting on the stage. <laughs> and she would have full on pulled a harpo on us. <laughs> they could have had clavicles. They could have had a fucking the, drum set and she would have sat down like spiel. Ringo, a Ringo star for Christ's sake. <laughs> or she can play the piano. Of course she did it between her shifts at the suicide hotline. She started up and her flying lessons and her night job at the Johnny rockets and her bridge club and her diet club. In between of nursing and after nursing school. Yeah, keep, keeping up her RN, keeping up that accreditation. Of course, Mrs. Garrett can play the piano at performance quality level 
like we have never ever seen her do before. They don't even own a fucking piano at Edna's Edibles until season seven. And does it come with Beverly Ann or is it already there before Beverly yeah, she, Ann? She has it. It's hers. Yeah, because Cloris Leachman plays yeah. piano. And I swear, I... Even as a kid, I remember watching this episode when I was a teenager, when it was first run on network television and thinking, she plays the piano? We've never seen her do that. The fuck is this? And for those that don't know, playing the piano is not like riding a bike. No. <laughs> I, I was, um, at one time, a classically trained pianist and... To, and now it's been so long since I played it. it it's just, it just, you don't just get back on like it's a bike. <laughs> Let's no, just say. It's use it or lose it. Yeah. And the same goes for picking up weights, any type of physical activity or, um, or, or singing as we are going to also be learning very soon. <laughs> um, but the the deal is the number begins. It's the first number, and uh, what do we get first thing? Who, wh what comes out on stage first thing, Matthew? Well, Joe comes walking out surprised as a man. <laughs> In drag! <laughs> For some <laughs> inexplicable reason, she <laughs> So, for some inexplicable reason, she's Scrooge. She's cast in the role of Ebenezer Scrooge with uh, a terrible Woolworth wig of yeah. hair pulled back, uh, the night cap, and the and the nightgown covering her her normal man clothes that she would wear every day. And if you remember in um, in a Christmas story, I'm sure you do the character of the elf. Mm-hmm. That Natalie plays. What the fuck is she dressed like an elf? I, I, I don't understand it either. But what? what we've got is Joe starts off, and this is like the quality of these costumes and these performances. This is like, this is like the talent show put on by the accounting department at the office. Like it is such barely community theater level in terms of she walks out as Scrooge and basically goes, bah humbug. I hate Christmas. Yeah. And then in comes Natalie dressed as an elf and she goes, humbug. Are you kidding me? Ha cha cha cha. Full, full spin the dreidel and let's light the menorah then, you know, let's get in the spirit. Full-on Borspelt Jewish, totally intentional, and I'm and I'm here for it. I'm not gonna. I'm not dissing I'm not it. Not mad at it, but but a Jewish elf. Uh, uh. As I mean, she pulls that as they're about to sing a Christmas song, written by a Jew and being sung by a Jew, because <laughs> <laughs> Natalie, a Jew. But yeah. I'm just going to leave that there. Yeah. <laughs> we wrote most of the good Christmas songs, if I'm being honest. Yeah. We Jews? Uh, are, you, <clears throat> are you Jewish, Matthew? Jewish. <laughs> you hang, if, you, if you shake anybody's family tree, a Jewish woman's going to fall out of it. <laughs> well, uh, they start the song, and Matthew, what is the song that they sing? 
Oh my God. It's one of the two Christmas songs that has been written in the past 70 years. Mm-hmm. It's We Need a Little Christmas, David. Yes. From, from the Jerry Herman musical Mame. Mame. Because what? If you're going to think up, you know what? I'm going to perform at a prison, a men's prison. I'm going to think up the song list here. Mm-hmm. You know what? They're going to love a song from Mame. Mm-hmm. A show tune. Uh, yeah, show tunes. I hear prison inmates are big into the Broadway. Yeah. If they yeah. can't get Johnny Cash, they'll settle for an Angela Lansbury musical. <laughs> but it is, and it's a great song. I love the song. And uh, it's a great, it's a Gary Herman song. Of course, it's great. He's brilliant. Yeah, agreed. Love it. Love the song. And the whole uh, story, as it were, is that Natalie, as the elf, is trying to get Scrooge into the Christmas spirit. So uh, she does succeed. Spoiler alert. And it ends up with them doing these box steps, uh, some kicks, some. Hello, my baby. Hello, my honeys. And uh, I mean, like I said, it looks like the worst community theater production. There's choreography even that they haven't rehearsed for two years. Yeah, amazing. There's there's an amazing tempo change at the end. They go into little Christmas now. Yeah. Um, So I wonder why this has become such a trope when all it does is show off the lack of talent that your cast has. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. they're not dancers. No. Don't make them dance. Yeah. They're and, not singers. Don't make them sing. Yeah. And they're not singers with a capital S. Their voices are p- perfectly pleasant. They're carrying Fine. the tune. They're hitting the notes. It's not like they're off key and awful. But like I said, it's this is literally talent show level talent. This is yeah. not whew. and uh I, the only other thing I want to point out about this is um they set up for a modulation that they don't do. Yeah. They go, it hasn't snowed a single flurry but Santa dear, we're in a hurry so climb down the chimney and it's like that's the same key you would have gone climb down the chimney you would have gone up there and fun fact um you're welcome by the way for the dulcet lovely singing i just did jerry herman for my dear my my broadway students that listen jerry herman writes for old ladies Mm -hmm. the old lady key is d flat is it really? I didn't um, know that. That is why that's why that joke is in um fucking oh, postcards. postcards when she goes, I'm still here in D flat. <gasps> I didn't know that. It's the old lady key. <laughs> <laughs> like all of Mame, all of Hello Dolly is written in the key of D flat. <laughs> <laughs> um but I didn't know that. So we need a little Christmas is one of those songs that it doesn't, it's brilliant because it makes it sound like it needs a huge range when it really doesn't like before the parade passes by. It's one of those that it's only got less than an octave of a range in it. Unless you're fucking Barbara Streisand. Uh, uh, I, I would do it. 
the point for the parade man i'm gonna da 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 that's it's like an octave and a third isn't it but that's the lowest she goes yeah at the beginning yeah that's it and the thing is you can get away with climb down the chimney turn yeah. on the I want to know who the vocal coach was for this episode oh they didn't have a vocal didn't, coach are you kidding me any time trying to find the right key for these girls <laughs> they didn't find any time trying to find the right anyway so yeah. i know we're we're judge we realize dear listeners that we're judging this facts of life talent show as if we're frank rich from the new york times we get it <laughs> we get yeah. it Again, I love this episode. Um, <laughs> Great episode. So uh, they finish the number. Uh, they run backstage. Um, and it's like, okay, that's great. Hey, the house is terrific. They're having a good time. What's great? Who's next? Let's go out there. It, Mrs. Garrett is next. And she's all, no, I'm nervous. I, <clears throat> I haven't sung in so long. I haven't even vocalized. <laughs> funny. Oh, Charlotte Ray making funny noises laugh. After she says... I can't follow that. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I, you know, I forgot. Like, like these, like these fucking convicts are going to be out there being like, "Well, well, how do you? We just really, we yeah. just saw. We need a little Christmas, and now we're getting this shit." Yeah, we like, had a Jewish. We we had a Jewish elf and a drag king, and now this old lady thinks a park and bark is going to be enough to keep this show on the rails. Really. Um, and any woman that knows her salt knows that you're in the star spot at this point right now. Exactly. They were your opening act, bitch. So then <laughs> out comes Mrs. Garrett. And Matthew, we have to bring this podcast to a screeching halt to discuss and describe the scene that happens right before Mrs. Garrett starts to sing. She goes out. She gets there, plants herself center stage. And before Joe starts playing the piano, Mrs. Garrett has a little moment of discomfort and then decides to step down off the stage and start greeting and shaking the hands of the inmates and start doing crowd work. <laughs> and this gives more lines for our convicts to be the Statler and Waldorf. It is, it is freaking awesome in how... It, beyond puzzling it is. She walks over to one guy, shakes his hand and says, hello, I'm Edna. And he goes, and again, acting like comment, I'm Larry. And where are you from, Larry? Solitary. <laughs> that's a that's funny right there. I don't care who you are. That's a funny joke right there. Um. So then she says, uh, well, you know, glad you made it here to see us. And then she goes over to shake the hand of another one, this other guy. And she says, um, are you looking forward to seeing your family? And he stands up. He is huge, insanely tall, towers over her. And he says, family, I ain't seen my family in 12 years. And she does her, maybe they don't have the right address. <laughs> and so then he sits back down. He's not threatening to her, 
but he sits back down quickly enough. And then she starts kind of like, you know, having the wrong address. I, I remember it used to be so frustrating when my sons wouldn't write to me. And the, and the third convict, the, actually the one sitting in the middle, says, uh, hey, lady, are you going to do your act? I got parole coming up. <laughs> so she says, oh, <laughs> and gets up on stage. And then Joe starts playing. And then what you see in the syndicated version is Mrs. Garrett singing Oh Holy Night. So these three actors are a quite a fascinating find. If you go to IMDb and click on their profiles, we have the first actor, Larry from Solitary, is actor Bruce Glover. He has many, many credits. He is uh, still alive. He's 88 years old. He appeared in the movie Diamonds Are Forever and Chinatown. Uh, that's that's the James Bond movie and the Jack Nicholson movie, respectively. Uh, but here's the real surprise about Bruce Glover, Matthew. Bruce Glover is the father of actor Crispin Glover. Oh my God, I thought you were going to say Danny Glover. No, <laughs> no, but he looks like him. When you look at him, when I say that, you're like, oh my God, yes, that's totally Crispin Glover's dad. And Crispin Glover has already appeared on The Facts of Life. If you recall, two years ago, season four, episode nine, as cadet number one in The Fight, also known as the second attempt to do the Academy spinoff with the boys over at Stone Military Academy. Yes. Crispin Glover pops his head in and says, hey, Captain, phone call for you. Also in High School USA. Which we loved. It loved him. In High School USA. All right. The second actor. No, actually, I'm going to do it in this order. The third actor, the blonde guy who says, lady, you're going to do your act. Uh, I got parole coming up. His name is Michael Milhone. M-I-L-H-O-A-N. He was born and raised in St. Petersburg, Florida. He studied music, played lead trumpet professionally in a jazz band, then had a car accident, left him unable to play. So he turned to acting. And Matthew... He has 80 acting credits over a 40-year career. He is still alive. He is 63 years old. And it says in one of uh, either IMDb or somewhere I somewhere on the internet that he lives in the villages. I'm like, he's an actor or a former actor who lives in the villages? Does he go to the theater up there? Because if he does, I may have been in the same room as him. He may have seen me perform because I've done a show at the Villages. But the last guy I want to point out wow. is the tall guy. This actor is six foot six, and his name is Stanley Ralph Ross. Does that name have any familiarity to you, Matthew? Stanley Ralph Ross? I mean, the 80s were a blur for me, so I'm not the person <laughs> to ask about names, especially full names. <laughs> it's, it was all the, all the coke and all the oh god chasing that dragon <laughs> well he's an actor and a voiceover artist with 54 credits between 1964 and 1988 but he also has 40 credits as a writer including 27 episodes of the original Batman series he was a writer for Batman 66 
He also wrote three episodes of All in the Family. And the recognition factor for me, when I saw the name Stanley Ralph Ross, every single episode of Wonder Woman, the Linda Carter series, says, developed for television by Stanley Ralph Ross. So this was after Wonder Woman. Yeah, this is just a random acting thing. You wonder if like one of the producers knew him and said, oh, we need a tall guy. Six foot six, that is literally a foot and a half taller than Charlotte Ray. But what a, I was, I was just, I was gobsmacked when I saw the name and then clicked and it's like, that's the same Stanley Ralph Ross that <laughs> created or at least somehow developed Wonder Woman. What? Are you, what? Huh? What? Stop it! I don't know what reaction you want from me. Are, are you mocking me? No, I'm patronizing you, honey. Oh, okay. Different. As long as it's clear, yes. <clears throat> Any hoozle. The last thing I will say about these three inmates, uh, the blonde one that lives in the villages, Michael Milhone, he's a prison inmate in this episode, Matthew, but he's going to be returning to the facts of life for one more episode, playing, ironically, a policeman. Mm. In the last drive-in, which is upcoming episode 22 of season six. Great episode. Great is it? Episode. I, I don't remember it. I can't wait to see it. Yeah. Oh, it's terrible. Um. <laughs> so Edna sings, Oh, Holy Night. Mrs. Garrett, Charlotte Ray, finally, instead of joke, the way she joke sings and joke makes noises uh, throughout the series, now finally, for the first time, we get to hear truly Charlotte Ray singing. And I think she does a lovely job with it. It is clear she's a little out of practice. Well, what's clear is, yes, she does a lovely job. If you are at your church function and the head of the ladies auxiliary is going to sing a song. Here's my issue, David. What it, is your issue? They have forced a Jewish woman to sing <laughs> a very Christian song. They missed an opportunity for Natalie to mention Hanukkah at all. Mm. It's a very Christian show, which True. I get. It's a Christian holiday. But why would you force her to sing something that religious? You know what I mean? There, And you've already got, coming up, a very slow Christmas song. Mm -hmm. I would have given her a completely different song. I don't, mm -hmm. We don't need Oh Holy Night. Yeah, it is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Oh, God. About Downer Jesus. much, Mrs. Garrett? Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't even think about that, the fact that Charlotte Ray is Jewish, because we know that Edna Garrett is not, or at least they're, they, they don't say really one way or the other. But I And it's an appropriate song for Mrs. Garrett. If you yeah. take Charlotte Ray out of it, it's an appropriate song for Mrs. Garrett. I just, it's like, ugh, why this song? I mean, that's a pretty fucking heavy yeah. religious song. Yeah. <laughs> and and it's it's a heavy hitter as far as you do need some chops to sing it competently. Like, you know, we're <laughs> we're shitting on her a little bit here. Like I'm saying, it sounds like she's a little out of practice. Honest to God, there are people who are extremely yeah. good singers who struggle with it. It's not Thank an easy you, song. David. Thank you for saying that. I didn't know you were a fan, but um, <laughs> even I have, I mean, that's a hard song 
Yeah. Just pull out of your back pocket. And if you don't think so, watch Cher's version of it from <laughs> her variety show. But no, Cher saying, oh, holy night. What, what, what would that have sounded like, Matthew? David, have you not seen it? Where she's standing there in her Dickensian style dress with her hand in a muff. <laughs> Giggity. And, and it is literally Cher to the fucking hilt. It's it's the most brilliant thing. Oh, holy night. The lights were brightly shining. It was the night of our dear Savior's birth. It is hilarious. <laughs> oh, not divine. Oh, not divine. Like, she riffs on it because she ain't holding that fucking note out. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, I've seen it. I just wanted you to sing it. I oh, wanted to hear you do it again. Favorite fucking thing ever. Yeah, we <laughs> we we have done a bit where we we've been out caroling, entertaining people in the theme park, and I've said, "Let's do a holy night," and you started doing that, and I turned to you <laughs> oh, and said, right. "And I said, what What are you doing?" And you responded, "I don't remember what did I say." You said, "Well." You you told me Christmas was a time for sharing. <laughs> you don't remember? Nobody gets that joke. I fucking. <laughs> oh lordy, I just love I love your share so much. So but I guess, yes, I just I just it's not it's not a song I would have put in the middle of a. So I mean, yeah. that's the reason for the season, and that's what she's been talking about all night. And yeah, it's an appropriate song for her. I'm just like, ugh, it's a little heavy-handed for me. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, I I won't disagree with you. The we we just were re-listening to it. There is the 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 tricks that you do, like when you're not in your best voice. And a lot of it is uh, hard cutoffs. Yeah. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. And then on the the big the big oh night divine oh night um and and the last thing is that when she hits that final note oh night divine to get up there she contorts her face you can tell she was working yeah. and so much of singing is no 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 you you shouldn't be seeing the work on the face of the performer the voice should be doing the work the face should just be emoting not squinching and i got to get it in, up in the head voice there <laughs> but again charlotte ray we love charlotte ray she was on the broadway and we were not so who the fuck are we to criticize any shred of her talent she sure ain't trying to make a living doing virtual bingo. <laughs> so, oh, bless. I'm fully aware of where I sit throwing stones. I'm fully aware. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, <laughs> I, I have no job to throw stones from. So, oh, uh, but I, I am genuinely happy that this, that this is a documentation of her musicality, even if it isn't her in her peak at her prime and oh, and the last thing to say about this is they do some very pretty directorial things. We do the uh, while she's singing, we pan away from her and slow dissolve to the curtain, and then pan down like these, you know, f more fluid 
sweeping shots to and it's nice i you know they're they're standard fare there's nothing experimental about it but it's certainly nothing you would see unless a song was being sung right. so uh good cr- props to mr boab for jumping on that and understanding you needed to use some uh musical visual rhetoric within the art form it looked like a commercial for a christmas album in 1984 <laughs> So um, Tootie yes. comes out, and Tootie comes out, and I love unsubstantiated confidence. I just love it. <laughs> There's nothing like watching someone perform as if they are Patty Goddamn LaBelle, <laughs> and and they are barely Raven Simone. <laughs> honestly. Again, I have zero problem with Kim Fields as a human being. Same here. Zero. I love her. But- I think she's smart. I think she's funny. I think <laughs> she is great at what she does. Singing is not what she does. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think that's a good way to put it. And I'm not sure you or I would love it if, you know, I love Matthew Arter as a person and as a human being. Waiting for what that butt that's inevitably coming down the pike, what that's going to bring with it. Whenever you're talking about me, there's always discussion with a big butt. <laughs> but we have we have Tootie. She is in this, this stage now where she looks so much more mature. It's like the braces came off and she is suddenly stunning. I mean, literally stunning. And I guess because of the braces making her look still so like a tween. I just never was really looking at her that much, but I constantly am so taken with how beautiful she is. Even wearing B. Arthur's dress from the Golden Girls. As a drag queen, every drag queen over a certain age had that fucking dress. <laughs> this man in 1984. That was mother of the bride. If your mother of the bride was a drag queen dress. I mean, I, that, that dress probably, you know, David weighed about 80 pounds. It is all bugle beads. It has the fringe beads on the bias cut hemline diagonal, very eighties. And, uh, but all the way, it it doesn't have a high collar, but they ain't no neckline. The neckline is a circle around the neck and it's long sleeve. So it's just, that's the perfect mother of the bride slash drag queen dress because you're not showing any flesh that you you don't want to be seen, exactly. Um, So she's clearly been choreographed and she is putting her heart into doing this choreography and selling this, but this is a medley where she starts with Jingle Bell Rock and then she goes into uh, Winter Wonderland and then at one point it goes into... uh, an up-tempo, have yourself a merry little Christmas. Yeah. She's full on Sweeney Sisters. Oh my God. Yeah. A Sweeney Sisters. I was half waiting for her to be like, clang, 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 went the trolley. Thank you. <laughs> ding, 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 went the bell. You're so right. You are so right that it's a Sweeney Sister with the dress, complete with the dress. Um, one, here's a rookie mistake that often singers make. When it gets to have yourself a merry little Christmas with it. a real hard tea. It's like you know. Yeah. yeah. That's a rookie mistake. The other one was Nancy McKeon. Um, 
ringing through the need and i've got a little angel sitting on my shoulder <laughs> singing angel yeah and in between mrs garrett and tootie more backstage oh that was great it's good i gotta go out and do my thing haha -ha, it's ready Blah. and blair uh, i just found out i can have children <laughs> and that was a Debbie Downer reference for those that don't understand what I'm doing here. Mm. Oh, 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 and the last thing, uh, I'm sorry, I did miss one thing about Tootie, is that uh, this was a show they did for kids. This was like a show they did at a school two years ago that we never heard of that is literally impossible for them to have done. And uh, not gonna lie, Tootie is putting on a little bit of sex appeal and flirtiness and shimmying and shaking of the hips. And her final pose is uh, holding her hand out and winking at the camera. And I put down, this is a little sexy for a kid's show. It's like, oh, okay. And also two years ago, that was performed by two years ago, Kim Fields. <laughs> with her braces on. With When she was 13. Right now, Kim Fields is 15. So... Uh... <laughs> But, uh, yes. <clears throat> so then, finally, we're backstage. It's terrific. It's wonderful. And just as they're about to say, okay, we need to go out and take one more bow. Yeah. The warden comes out. It's going great. Can't wait to see what you have next. And they're like, uh. And he says, well, I promised them more show. This is This is a talent show, and you've been on stage for a total of seven minutes collectively. They're shouting encore and they're shouting. And Natalie's like, there is no encore. Yeah. And then Mrs. Garrett starts giving a pep talk saying, you know, girls, after tonight, we get to go to our home. For these guys, this is all the Christmas that they're going to get. Yeah. So Joe says, I'll go out and start playing some more. I'll go do something. At which point, Blair says, no, Joe. I'll go. It's my turn, isn't it? With one look, you'll forgive the past. <laughs> one more look. Yeah, she's fucking Gloria Swanson walking out on stage now. <laughs> so Blair just walks out as they're cheering, and then they calm down, plants herself center stage, and, gee, the song that Joe said was her dad's favorite when he was in prison was I'll be home for Christmas. And so what does Blair start to sing, Matthew? She starts to sing with love in her eyes, I'll be home for Christmas. Because she means, when she says home, she means Joe's pussy. <laughs> no, stop. Oh, stop. <sighs> but Lisa Welchel comes out, and honest to God, this is where, this is the make or break moment of the episode. This is where it's not just that Blair has to go out and sing to close out the show for us to know that Blair has seen the light and realizes that she can do something nice and not be a selfish bitch. But the most important thing is she needs to be the best thing about the show. And God damn it, Matthew, your close personal friend, Lisa Welchel, delivers yet again. Yeah, I love her. Amazing. She's wonderful. She's she's a gift to this earth, Lisa Welchel. Mm -hmm. And she, we know, came to this show with a great deal of musical ability. 
Thank God she didn't go out and do her fucking ventriloquist act. I just want to go on record saying that. Um, but she sings acapulco, mind you. <laughs> That's a joke. Acapella, meaning without music. And in typical every musical ever in the history of musicals, Matthew. I'll be home for Christmas. Joe walks over to the piano and starts underscoring, accompanying her perfectly in the exact same key in which she started, almost like they rehearsed it. Hmm. Almost like Joe is such a gifted pianist. <laughs> and such a gifted musician. I've been playing the piano since I'm four. Mm -hmm. If you started singing to me right now, David, I would be like, I don't know what key you're in. I have no idea. <laughs> There are there are people that have that gift. They're like, yeah. mm, that see, like, and yeah. if I'm hearing a song and I'm singing it in my range, I can be like, mm, that's probably was that around F or something. Anyway, but no, I'm not Joe Palmacek level of apparently no. of musicianship. Yeah, yeah, no, Matthew, I've heard Joe Palmacek's uh, performing. You are no Joe Palmacek. No. That was uncalled for, Senator. <laughs> <laughs> so Blair completes the song. And then it becomes a sing-along. Everyone starts having the warm fuzzies and the warm feelies and the prisoners are putting their arms around each other. And then the girls all come out and they all huddle around the piano, make a nice little uh, tableau and uh, sing the whole thing. And it pans across all the faces of the girls. And you see Natalie and Tootie and Mrs. Garrett and Joe. Did you notice? No. Not smiling and looking like she is not fucking into this. She's got to concentrate on keeping everybody on tempo and <laughs> she's got to keep everybody in the key. Come on. Uh, <laughs> it was almost like she didn't know she was on camera. Anyhow, I find it amusing that whatever the choice Nancy McKeon made, it does not look like she's enjoying herself. No. Even if it's... It's it's an interesting acting choice with, no, I'm intense because I'm concentrating on the accompaniment. Yeah, that's where I am. So I'm like, oh, be home for Christmas. Wow. And with that, the sing-along continues. Lovely languid pans across the crowd and the ladies, and they finish out, I'll be home for Christmas. If only in my dreams. What's your favorite Christmas carol, Matthew? Um, Sleigh Ride. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I Do you like know the lyrics? Um, just hear those sleigh bells ring ring Um, I like the Boston Pops version of it. Mm -hmm. Um, but I like some of the, um, I love... It depends on who's singing it. I love a good, um, do you hear what I hear? Oh, okay. Powerful version of that. I like um, um, Dolly Parton's, what is it? Um, I'll be home with bells on. Oh, oh. yes. That's very fun. That's it. This has been fun. And again, I loved this episode for the tried and true and some would argue tired sitcom trope of the talent show. This is, uh, I, this, this seemed right and appropriate and good. And uh, yeah, 
I, I want more. I would have invited them back for the following year uh, and, and said, yeah, and you could uh, rehearse the show next time. Imagine, <laughs> imagine how good it would be then, huh? Yeah. Matthew, thank you as always. I love your hair, which you, what, you did white with blue tips? Is that what it is? No, I did gray with blue tips. I've never been able to have blue hair in my whole life. Uh-huh. Well, so I, I mean, eventually we'll all be blue hairs, but that's it's coming. It's a choice. It's a many choice. Years. I love it. I think it's wonderful. Right. So thank you for being on the show. Whenever we are together next on the podcasting, I cannot wait until that time. Until then, smooches and goodbye. Cool. Merry Christmas, David. Well, Merry Christmas, Matthew. And there you have it. That was Matthew Arder. Uh, so we were talking about just the 10 of us and how there have been three actors from that show on The Facts of Life so far. We, of course, this episode had Joanne Willette, who played one of the daughters, named Connie. The uh, other third person I couldn't think of was Matt Shackman. That's the uh, one I've been posting stuff about, that he's the director and producer of the new WandaVision series on Disney+, Plus, the latest thing from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it's kind of a big deal. So Matt Shackman played... The uh, little boy, Robbie, in season six, episode seven, Taking a Chance on Love, part two. And he played the son, J.R., on Just the Ten of Us. And of course, the mom, Deborah Harmon, is the actress. And she played the character of Gail Gallagher, Joe's teacher, in season four, episode 15, Teacher's Pet. And I discovered in the process that there's actually a fourth Facts of Life connection, and probably more with just the one-off single-appearance actors. But Frank Bonner played the role of Father Robert Harris for almost half of the episodes of Just the Ten of Us. And you'll recall Frank Bonner was the American writer that Tootie and Natalie befriend in the wonderful cinematic masterpiece, The Facts of Life Goes to Paris. Next thing, uh, which is actually kind of related to that, is that Matthew was asking about whether just the ten of us and the facts of life exist in the same universe. And uh, the universe we were talking about, you may not be aware of, is called the Tommy Westfall TV universe. It's kind of considered the Bible in terms of shows that existed in the same realm as other shows. And this is all based on the character, Tommy Westfall, which is the name of the autistic boy in the finale of Saint Elsewhere. You know, that's like one of the most famous TV finales ever, where the entire series, turns out, was just in the mind of a young autistic boy. And he's looking at a model of the hospital in a snow globe. So uh, this person somewhere with a WordPress account decided to say, okay, where and how is St. Elsewhere connected to other shows, meaning they also are figments of this young boy's amazingly creative imagination. And so the chart that this WordPress account has made, the master list as it were, is like insane how detailed it is for how many TV shows over the years have referenced other TV shows. And of course, this is the big long buildup to the big burning question that Matthew asked. Does just the 10 of us exist in the same cinematic universe as the facts of life? And the answer is no, it does not. 
Just the Ten of Us was a spin-off of Growing Pains, if you recall. I might have even said that it was um, Family Matters. I know I, I confuse Family Matters and Growing Pains all the time. I'm sorry. I'm human. Get over it. But in fact, Growing Pains and Just the Ten of Us do not appear in the Tommy Westfall universe. But The Facts of Life does, which is kind of fun and fabulous and awesome. Lastly, the only thing uh, I have left to tell you is Matthew did mention one of his side gigs is he does do a virtual drag queen bingo every weekend. And you can find it at 515.net. That's F-I-V-E-1-5 dot net. I will post the link in the show notes and on the episode's webpage. And you can attend a drag bingo hosted by our very own Carol Lee dear, dear close friends with Matthew Arder. Now next week, I'm going to be watching season six, episode 14, Me and Eleanor. And my guest is going to be Paul Padilla. Yes, he's going to be back, another favorite of the podcast. You can watch the episode for free at dailymotion.com. You can find the link in the show notes and on this episode's webpage. That's all for now. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. And remember, the facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was created, produced, written, hosted, and edited by me, David Almeida. My theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Visit my website, facethefactspod.com, for supplemental photos and videos, audio extras from the digital cutting room floor, links to my social media, and ways that you can support the show financially. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. Tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts.